Let's take our Bibles now and turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, the last verse, and then two verses in chapter 3. Jonah chapter 2, begin with verse 10, and then reading through Jonah 3, 2. As we continue our study in the life of Jonah, Jonah was a backslidden preacher, I guess we could call him, a servant of God, who at least for a time was out of the will of God, and we saw last time that he had a repentant attitude, and that's very significant. When we look at the proceeding of the journey as it continues, let's look at these verses beginning with verse 10, Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Go and do what I had told you to do originally. And so we have different scenes in this drama in the life of Jonah as we follow him and see what God is doing in his life. And I guess the fish that God prepared for him must have gotten sick of a backslidden preacher being in his belly and vomited this preacher up. Somebody said that backslidden preachers cause indigestion for a lot of people. And uh, that can happen to preachers. They can get out of God's will and be backslidden. And Christians, likewise, no doubt the very same. But God is very patient with us, isn't he? And I'm glad that he is. He was very patient with Jonah. But on this occasion, God spoke to that fish and made him vomit up Jonah on dry land. And we see a couple of things. Number one, God is interested in Nineveh. God really cared about those people. He loved sinners. He wanted them to be saved. He wanted a revival to come. Nineveh was a very wicked city. I mean, extremely wicked. And our country today is very wicked. But you know, God loves us, and God would like to give us a revival, I believe, if we'd meet his criteria for revival. That God loved the wicked Ninevites. He wanted them to be saved. He wanted somebody to go tell them how to be saved. But God also loved Jonah. He loved the Ninevites. He loved Jonah. And God chose, God had chosen Jonah to go preach. Now, he could have chosen other people, but he chose him. And we could discuss that a long time and maybe not come up with the exact answer as to why God chose him, but God wanted him to go and preach the truth to those people. And perhaps Jonah didn't feel like he was worthy of it. Perhaps it was because of his anger but maybe God wanted to teach him a lesson and us a lesson by calling him. But by the way, God has called all of us to do 
something very similar to what he's called Jonah to do. And you say, well, I'm not worthy and I'm not qualified and I don't have all of those abilities. But if God has called us to do something, then God gives us the ability to do that thing. God doesn't ask us to do something that we can't do, especially as we lean on Him and depend on Him and seek His help. And so God has chosen us to serve Him, and God has chosen us to witness for Him, to preach the gospel, to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 you want to turn there, you can. Keep your place in Jonah. But 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, here's a reminder as to what God has said to, to us and to all of us in a general way. We have a calling, and we are supposed to serve Him. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh. See, God wants the honor and the glory, and so he doesn't always call many wise men after the flesh, the wisdom of the world. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Those who think they're wise, God has taken the very simple things in the world to confound them. They can't explain it. The only way they can explain the success of somebody like that and the joy and the happiness and the purpose in their life and the, the fulfillment they have is by thinking about God. So God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Somebody's referred to this as God's tool chest. A lot of tools in it, and God can use us. And look at those tools, things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. We should not want the glory, and we should see that God gets the glory, and many times that's why God calls us and He wants to use us. And we can't claim the glory, but we give the glory to Him. And that ought to be true in all of our ministries. God should receive the glory for what we do. But we need to remember that we all have a calling and we can do it. And we don't need to run from God and hide from God's will for our lives to witness to people and to serve the Lord wherever He wants to use us. And so God wants to use us in a way that is bigger than ourselves. And God wants the glory for that, and He wants to be involved in it. He desires to be big in the process of calling us and using us to serve Him and to do His will. And so God wants to use us in a way that is bigger than ourselves. In other words, to show us who He is, and He can take me, He can take you, and He can use us to bring glory to Him, to, to bring people to Christ. So first of all, we look at a sick constitution there in verse 10 where the fish was sick and vomited. I'd love to see a replay of that someday, wouldn't you? I don't know if they have places. Maybe up in heaven they'll have 
little rooms, media rooms, where you can go to it and watch a replay of the flood or watch a replay of the Red Sea or watch a replay of something like this. I'd love to see uh, what took place then and be able to see that. I don't know if we'll be able to do that. I don't know if there are video rooms in heaven. I rather doubt it. But this would be one I'd like to see a replay on when that big fish vomited him out upon the dry land. God is the one that made the fish sick. The preacher did too, I suppose, but really God is the one that did that. Have you ever, have you ever said this in your life? You make me sick. Or have you ever had anybody tell you that? Surely if you have brothers and sisters, you've heard that during your life. You make me sick or something of that nature. And so this is what God was saying to the big fish about Jonah, that that fish would make him sick. The psalmist reminds us that God spoke. When God speaks, things happen. And just by the, the, the power of God's voice, Psalm 33, 9, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Talking about an episode that took place in the Word of God. But when God speaks, it's going to be done. And God's Word is all-powerful. And so we have, uh, we have cases in the Bible where God spoke. God spoke, and this world was created. He didn't need 10 billion years of evolutionary process to bring about... A man. God spoke. God breathed into man his nostrils after he formed him, and man became a living soul. God spoke this world into existence. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we know that God's Word is powerful. And so it was the Word of God that spoke. The Lord spoke unto the fish, and it vomited out the preacher. God spoke, and Christ arose. Amen. The Father spoke, and Jesus came out of the tomb, thank God. And one of these days he's going to speak again and say, Come up hither. And thank God we're going to be raptured and go up and be with the Lord when he speaks. And he's going to do it someday. And I hope it's in my lifetime and your lifetime. I really do. That would be quite a trip, wouldn't it? To have God speak, Come up hither. Come to be with me. The rapture of the, the children of God, the church. Well, Someone said that this is a class that was dismissed, that Jonah was learning his lesson. He had graduated from, somebody worded it this way, Seaweed Seminary. And he had gotten a lot of training very quickly inside the belly of the big fish. The sooner we learn to obey God, and he had repented at this point, came, came to that place. But the sooner you and I, like Jonah, learn to obey God, the sooner we can get on our journey, the right journey of being in God's perfect will. We just have to learn to obey God, confess our sin, get right with God, and keep on on our journey for serving the Lord and being in God's perfect will. We should want to be in God's perfect will, right? There's God's permissive will. There's God's perfect will. Which one are you in today? We, we should want to be in God's perfect will. What does God want for me? That's what I want to do. I want to be in the will of God. The children have a little song. Hear the words of it. That's a good song. 
Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. So we are to obey the Lord and do what God wants us to do and come to that place of repentance. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Do you love God today? We say we love him. And surely we do. But do we prove it by keeping his commandments, by doing his will? John 15, 14, You are my friends, the little word if, if you do whatsoever I command you. You love me. You're my friend. If we do what God tells us to do. And so it is that we try to follow the leadership of the Lord, and that's where the blessings come in. Class is dismissed, and then the classic delivery. In the latter part of that verse, he said, He vomited out Jonah where? Upon the dry land. Upon the dry land. And that's important. Contrast that with where he was. He had been in the flood and the seaweed around him and the water around him and all of that in the stomach, in the belly of the big fish. He had been there three days and three nights. Not a good experience, I'm sure, where he was. And we know that verse 10, when he's talking about here, is very much like the verses that are already in the Word of God here describing what was going to happen to him, where he was going to be. He was there in the belly of the whale and there three days and three nights. And then we move from the floods, from the billows, and all of that as it is shown earlier, and we move to the dry land. What was the difference? What was the difference in being surrounded with all the trouble, all the water, being in the belly of the big fish and the seaweed and all of that? What was the difference? The difference was obedience. At this point, he had uh, assumed an attitude of obedience to the Lord to do what God had told him to do. And that's what changes us. It also will change somebody when they get saved. If they'll trust Christ as Savior, that's where the change will come in, and that's where they will be delivered from the power of sin. Here's the scripture that says in Psalm 41 and 2, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. That's who does it. God is. When we call upon him in the matter of salvation, that's what he does for us. And then as his children, when we repent and get right with God, then that changes things in our life. And just like it would be in the life of somebody who gets saved, old things have passed away, all things become new, we make that right with God. And so we have to trust Him and believe what He says and do what He tells us to do. And that's the way a person gets saved. A person has to believe what God says and they have to act upon what God says. And when they do that, when they obey God by trusting Christ as Savior... What happens to their lives? Their whole life changes. They become new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when they're obeying,
obeyed, they are blessed. And that's why the Bible says now's the day of salvation. Now's the time to make that decision. Most of us in this class probably have. If you're here and you haven't, you need to make that decision today to know you're saved and to know that you're born again because that's where God's blessings are. And that's when things begin to change. <clears throat> and as children of God, when we repent and turn from our sin, then that's when things begin to change and then we are blessed. James says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, look into the word of God and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Look in the word of God, see what God says, let it mirror back to us what we're supposed to do, then do it, and then we are blessed in that deed. So we have a sick constitution in what God did with that. And then we have the God of the second chance. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The second time. I'm glad that God is a God of mercy. And we ought to thank God daily that he is the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth and on down the line. We ought to thank God for that. Psalm 103.8, where he says, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and I like this, and plenteous in mercy. Aren't you glad he is? I don't know about you. I think I probably do according to the Word of God. I don't know the details about you. I do about me. But I know that I have failed God many a time in my life. And I, I know that there have been times I've been out of God's will. But thank God His mercy was there. When I came to Him in prayer and repentance, He restored my fellowship with Him. And I'm so glad that He is merciful. And He's always been able to do that. That doesn't mean you or I can go out and just live any way we want to. Uh, should we sin just because of grace? No, God forbid. But we know when we make things right and want to make things right with God, then God is willing to do that. And He is plenteous in mercy. Thank God He's plenteous in mercy. If not, all of us had probably been wiped out a long time ago. The truth was really known. And so He is an, an attentive God, an attentive Lord. And we know that God is watching and God is able, when we come to Him, to deliver us. I'm glad that when we call on God, we don't get an answering machine. You ever get tired of getting answering machines instead of a live voice? Something goes wrong with the AT&T U-verse, and you get on the phone and you call, and the person on the other end, you can't even understand them. I asked the other day, I said, give me somebody that speaks English. I want to talk to them. They gave me somebody else, and he spoke a little bit of English. I never did figure out what he was saying. And answering machines and that type thing, and I know they have a purpose, and, and there are some things that are there, and uh, caller ID, all of that stuff. But I'm glad that, that God knows what we need, and He's watching all the time. And we can go to Him in prayer, and God is able to deliver us. The psalmist reminds us, Psalm 34:15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. We don't get an answer machine. We don't get put off and all of that. God hears us, and He is conscious of what's going on in our lives. 
He knows that. And we know that in the life of Christ that that was his characteristic. Study the life of Christ and you'll, dis you'll discover that he wanted to help people. They may have been deaf. They may have been blind. They may have been crippled. They might have been a prostitute. may have been a, a tax collector who was lying and a sinner and all of that. But Jesus' nature was to love them and help them and to do something. And it didn't matter what their walk of life was. That wasn't the issue. Jesus loved people, and he wanted to help people, and he is an attentive Lord, and so he did that. Always, Jesus had a caring heart, and he still has a caring heart, and he loves you, and he cares for me, and he wants us to walk with him. He's always observing what's going on in our life. I don't know how God does it, but I believe God does that, and that's why he is God. He is able to do that, and so God sees us, and he sees us not only when we do good, he does, but he sees us when we sin. He sees us when we are out of his will, when we are sinful. But he also sees us when we obey. And he was watching, he was looking at Jonah, he knew what was going on, he knew Jonah was repentant and that he was going to obey him, and God did that. Men may overlook our faithfulness, but God never does. Here's what God says in Hebrews 6.10. This is a principle of God. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God knows when we're doing good things. And when you minister to other Christians and you help them out and try to do good deeds for them for the, in the name of the Lord, for the glory of God, God knows it. And God blesses that and God honors it. The Bible says this in Isaiah 49. It's an illustration of this principle, verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, the implied answer is no. She's not going to forget the baby that came and the baby that sucked from her breast the milk that gave the sustenance to that baby. Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. God said, it is remotely possible that a woman might do that, but I promise you, I will never forget you. God never forgets you. We are on the palm of his hand, so to speak. And they used to have something called a palm pilot, and it was personalized to you. Well, God, God's hand is the palm pilot. He has our name on his hand, and he does not forget us. And thank God that he doesn't. And then, not only is he an attentive Lord, but he is an amazing Lord of being long-suffering. What would you and I have done to Jonah? How would we have treated Jonah as far as individuals in the decisions that we made? If somebody defies our orders and we are in that place of authority and they don't do what we tell them to do, what are we going to do to them? How are we going to react to them? Maybe a grandchild or maybe a child or someone that works for you. How are you going to act to that? And we'll probably come to the place when they get that bad that we'll just say, that's it. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. You're out of here. Or take some kind of uh, chastising punishment or whatever toward them uh, because they didn't do what we told them to do. But God is so merciful. 
that God gives Jonah a second chance. He didn't say, I'm through with you, Jonah. Jump in the, in the sea and die and that's it. But he said, I'm going to give you a second chance. And I'm going to, to love you and help you through this time. So the word of God came unto Jonah, verse 1 of chapter 3, the second time. And that's the way God is. Matthew 18, 21. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. How often should we forgive someone? Till seven times, question mark. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's a lot of forgiving, and it's apt, what it is implying is just keep on forgiving. Just keep on forgiving someone when they fail. And that's the way God was willing to do that with him. We need to practice that in our lives, in our relationships. We need to be willing to forgive people. Seventy times seven, if necessary, whatever it is. People there in our relationship at home, husband and wife, with our children, people in the church, people that uh, we work with, whatever it may be, we should be long-suffering. We ought to be more long-suffering with each other, shouldn't we? Sometimes we're so impatient and so apt to get angry, so apt not to forgive, so apt to get our feelings hurt. But we need to practice long-suffering like Jesus did. Many times because of bitterness, hear me now, and an unforgiving spirit. Bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. We grieve the Spirit of God. We quench the Spirit of God. We have to be willing to forgive people. Sure, they did us wrong. Surely it was the wrong thing. But we'll never have sweet peace in our hearts until we forgive those people. Is there anybody you're thinking of right now that you need to forgive? Then forgive them. Just forgive them. Whatever the situation may be. I know that's a, a tall order sometimes, but it's, the God's, it's God's order. It's the right order. Forgive them and let God take care of it. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now listen to him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How, God? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There it is in the capsule, Ephesians 4, 30-32. We need to be willing to forgive others. God said, Jonah, I'm going to give you a second chance. And you and I need to forgive others. George Herbert said, He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Let me say that again. He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Benjamin Franklin said, Doing an injury puts you below your enemy. Revenging makes you but even with him. Forgiving sets you above him. And that is so true. That's the principle of the Word of God. So we have a sick constitution, a second chance, a same communication. In verse 2, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. He had already told him to do that. In chapter 1, that's what he told him in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, 
And then right here he said in verse 2 of chapter 3, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. Here he is. He's already told him once. He didn't do it. God's dealt with him. Now he's going to do it. And he uh, reminds him of what he wants him to do. My obstinate will does not change God's omniscient will. And so though Jonah was obstinate, God wanted him to go on and do that. And we need to understand that man can abuse God's patience. And we should not, but we can. And we sometimes think that we can continue in our wrong and we have plenty of time to get that wrong right. Here's the principle that we're reminded of in Ecclesiastes. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, because God doesn't just hit you like that the minute you sin, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. We say, well, God did, I did that, and God didn't do anything to me. I'll just keep on doing it. That's dangerous. The thing to do when we fail God in sin is to immediately confess it and get it right and don't continue. And we ought to be careful about it. Proverbs 29.1, the principle, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, we just won't straighten up, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Paul said... I do not frustrate the grace of God. We don't have the right to go on in sin. And so God's patience can run out, and it ran out with the people of Noah's day. That's exactly what happened. Where is the line that we can go to and we cross the line of God's running out of patience with us? Well, we don't know. So it's a dumb thing to go in the same direction toward a line where we really don't know where his patience is going to wear out with us, the thing to do is get it right with God. And God said, the principle again in Genesis 6, 3, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years, going back to the flood and those things. But the point is God's spirit is not always going to strive with man. Where's the line? We don't know. The songwriter asked a good question. Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? Though you gain the whole world for your own, even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted, have you counted the cost? Some people harden their hearts against God in getting saved so many times, so long, that there's an atrophy that sets in, a hardening like concrete of the heart. That's a dangerous thing to put it off, and it's a dangerous thing to put off getting your sinful habits or whatever in, in our lives right. And so we have to be careful if we abuse the patience of God. I close with this illustration. There was a captain on a ship, and he was coming into the shore, and he saw a light in his pathway. And as he was coming in, he sent a message that said, Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Then a reply came back, and he said, you alter your course 10 degrees to the south. And so he sent a message back, and he said, I am a captain. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. And then he answered and said, Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a seaman, first-class Jones. 
And the captain really couldn't believe what he was saying. Here he was, a captain, and then this seaman was giving him that message. And so he sent the third message to him, and he thought it put fear in him, and he said, Alter your course ten degrees north. I am a battleship. And so he answered him and said, Alter your course ten degrees south. I am a lighthouse. In other words, you're fixing to crash upon the rocks if you don't get things right. And sometimes we don't want to change our course, but if we don't listen to God, then we'll crash and we'll be shipwrecked. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. That's what we're to listen to. Psalm 119, 89. Success never comes to a man or a woman who tries to change the Bible to fit their own life. We don't change the Bible to accommodate us. Success comes to the man or woman who changes his life to fit the Bible. Alter your course and fit the Bible. God wasn't going to change. Jonah had to change. He had to repent. And then God gave him the second chance. He will us. But sometimes we need to alter our course. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Jonah and what it means to us today and help us to learn and practice the lessons from it. In Jesus' name, amen.